All right, turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse number 35. And we want to look at this idea of the ministry of compassion. What does this mean that we would have the ministry of compassion? So look in your Bibles to that passage here in just a moment. So 12 years ago, my, my brother took his own life. And he was only 13 months younger than me. And we did everything together. Everything. Got in trouble, played sports, played uh, everything we did together. And unfortunately, he got to a place when he was about 50 years old, he, he took his own life. And I had visited then, shortly thereafter, I visited some friends in New York City. And uh, the husband and my friend were there in the, in the kitchen area. In New York City, everything's one room. And we were there in the living area. And the wife started, she asked me, said, how are you doing with your brother's passing? And to let her off the hook, I said, okay. And her name was Sherry. She looks at me and she said, tell me what you're feeling. Okay, she wasn't going to just take, I'm doing okay. She looked at me in the eye and said, tell me what you're feeling. And she looked at me and she listened and she asked questions and she was concerned and caring for me so much so that in the moment, in the very moment she was speaking, I got a thought. This is what God's compassion feels like. The second thought I got was, why have I not experienced this very often? So let's look in Matthew 9, starting in verse 35, just four verses, and see this, this trait of Jesus shown throughout this scripture. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. This is God's word. Now, the first thing we understand is that we live to proclaim this good news. That's the reason that we live, we're alive, is to proclaim this good news. We can think of all kinds of other things that we live for. You know, our job, our home, our family, our recreation, our whatever. Uh, our craft, our hobby, our musicianship, our uh, being a part of a church. But we live to proclaim this good news. All the way that we are going and living our life, everywhere we are, the reason we exist is to proclaim this good news. And it says, now Jesus went throughout all the cities, and in the original it says, continually, went continually throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So this was, there was not a place that he was going to, to target. There was not just one group of people. 
It wasn't male, it wasn't female, it wasn't one ethnicity, it wasn't one social economic group, it was to all. Isn't that beautiful? That it can be to all. I started a church about uh, five, six years ago, and at that church, our statement was sharing the hope of Jesus to all. And the, the goal and the vision was that we would be a church where it wasn't divided but be to all. And I preached there not too long ago and I looked out and I reminded them of our vision statement, which still exists. And I said, look around. We have all kinds. And here we have all kinds. And the Lord is not done yet. It is to all. Proclaim this good news to all. It is for the kingdom and for a kingdom, he's going to preach the gospel of the kingdom. It is, there's a king, and that king is Jesus. That's the key point. And Jesus removed illnesses in an unprecedented way, and he gave it further evidence of this divine nature that who he was. So why do we live? Why do we exist? Why do we persevere? So that we can proclaim this good news. We can press forward. That's the reason that you live. You go through trials, what's your purpose? To proclaim this good news. Going through great things, you proclaim this good news. Relationship problems, financial difficulties, situations that come in our life, our role in that is to proclaim this good news. Got a great job? Proclaim the good news. Got a bad job? Proclaim the good news. Got a job? <laughs> Proclaim this good news. That's why you live. You're just proclaiming this good news everywhere you go, throughout all the places that you are. If you see yourself as this ambassador who has this good news, and listen, we don't have bad news. We have good news. We're not trying to argue on Twitter about a position or a point or a finer little detail. We're trying to point them to Jesus Christ, the good news, the one who said, we are guilty of our sin. Yet he has taken that sin upon himself on the cross and was buried in the ground and God raised him from the dead and gave victory over sin and death and hell and he promises that to us who by faith can believe. That's, that's pretty good news. That's what we proclaim. That's why we live. Second, we, we see so many needs around us, don't we? When Jesus saw the crowds... So he was looking. He was seeing people, seeing their eyes, looking at their faces, looking at what's taking place. And he saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, helpless and harassed. We look around us and there's so many needs. So many needs around us. And we get to share this hope of Jesus with as many people as we possibly can, but we're going to see what's taking place in them. We're, and, and we get to serve others. When you see a need, we get to serve them. When we just focus on ourselves, we now becomes our problem become bigger and bigger and bigger. But when we devote our life to serving others, we see those needs around us and we're moved with compassion, we can then say, your needs become my needs. 
That's how that works. That's why compassion works. Your needs are now my needs. Here's the way this works in your life. And so you, go, you forget about your needs because sometimes they're minor. Sometimes they're little details that we don't need to live by. But other people are going through trials and trouble and we get to see those needs all around us. What do you see in your neighborhoods? What do you see in your workplace? What do you see in your family? What do you see in your city? Do you see needs around you? If you took just a a little notebook and looked around and said, what are the needs around my neighborhood or my city or my workplace or wherever that might be, begin writing those things down. The things you'll find are loneliness, shame, guilt, sorrow, broken relationships, addictions, insecurity, health, finance issues, mistreatment, anger, hate. It's all around us. What's the answer? It's not helpless. It's not hopeless. The answer is a compassionate Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the answer. That's what we have to offer to all of those things in our life. When Jesus saw sheep without a shepherd, he said they were helpless and harassed. Helpless is one who is scraped by an animal or a thorny bush and that can get infected. Helpless, they can't, they can't help themselves. They can't serve themselves. That's what a good shepherd would do, would be to find those places where they're cut, where they're torn, where they're bit, and begin to repair those and put salve, put ointment, put whatever's necessary for them to begin healing. And sees them as harassed. This is a picture of someone who has been cast down. The sheep, as it were, were laying on its stomach, on its face down, helpless, vulnerable to attack from other animals. Jesus is looking at people and he's saying they're helpless and harassed and they need a shepherd. In Istanbul, Turkey, there were several flocks of sheep that were gathered together, um, all grazing together. And the shepherds that morning found themselves in eating breakfast together while their, their flocks were just wandering about. And all of a sudden, one of the main sheep went off the edge of a cliff 50 feet down to its death. And as sheep do, one followed the other until there were over 1,500 sheep who were down there. Now, here's the good news. After about 50 or so had there, they cushioned the fall of the other 1,100 that went down there to their death. But it ended up being $100,000 worth of damage to that flock all because the shepherd was not paying attention to the sheep. Sheep are prone to wander. We're called sheep in scripture. We're prone to wander. We need a shepherd. He cares for us. He's not eating breakfast and not paying attention to us. He's there with us. 
In fact, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord said, I'll be your shepherd. And we can be his under shepherd who cares for others. And that under shepherd, like our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, those under shepherds have compassion. Like the Lord, our shepherd cares for us, works with us. So what do you see in your neighborhoods, your workplaces, your families, around you, all about, in your city? Are you happy just to eat breakfast and ignore those needs around you? Or do you feel a calling to my job? The reason I exist is to proclaim this good news of a Savior, Jesus Christ, who gives us hope. Third, we feel compassion for others. When Jesus saw the crowds, it says he had compassion for them. He just didn't have compassion that was not focused on anything, but he had compassion, what? For them. He had compassion for people, for individuals, for those specific people in their life. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus felt compassion. Do you understand that? This divine God who came from heaven in the form of a human being took upon himself these human emotions and he was able to feel compassion. Compassion in the, in the Bible is described as this feeling that comes up from within your gut. It's like this knot in your stomach, if you will, this like something's wrong. I don't like what's taken place. And I feel for the other person. And Jesus felt that. He felt that compassion. It's, it describes a savior. It doesn't describe in the Bible any man who had compassion, but Jesus Christ. And he's calling us to be his followers now. And to do that, let's look at a couple of passages. In Matthew 14, 13, Jesus saw a great multitude and he felt compassion and he healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus had compassion for the multitude and their need to eat. So he did a miracle and fed 4,000 people. But it says he felt compassion for people who just needed to eat. Matthew 18, 24 there's a parable about a king who had compassion for the man who owed him great amount of money and was indebted to him and he released him from his debt. That's it showing that compassionate king. It's a picture of who Christ is. Matthew 20, verse 30 and 34, Jesus met two blind men on the road to Jericho. He had compassion on them and he opened their eyes. See, it's it's this feeling of compassion that comes in that causes us to go to action. When one said, you should love your neighbor as yourself, and the man said, well, who then is my neighbor? And, he, and Jesus gave a parable then of the good Samaritan, a man who was beaten and stripped and stolen from, was laying on the side of the road. One man came by, ignored him. Another man came by, ignored him. But the good Samaritan came and it says, he showed compassion 
to that man, bound him up, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn and took care of his needs. And Jesus said, which of these is your neighbor? And he said, the one who showed compassion. So he's calling us to love our neighbors ourselves by showing compassion, which means that we're going to be doing something in our life. No other religious system includes compassion. It's all about following a list of rules and adhering to them or facing consequence. And we're introduced to this compassionate Savior who said, I want to suffer with you. As I told the kids, right? It means to suffer with. Two words, com, which means with or together. Pate, which means, it's a Latin word that means to suffer. We suffer together. That's what compassion is. And Jesus did the ultimate suffering together. He took our suffering from us, placed it upon himself, and he paid it off. And he set us free. That's good news. That's what we get. Now, I have some friends in ministry. They serve in the Phoenix area. This is Butch and Heidi Nelson. Butch is the worship, I call the worship and arts pastor at a church in Scottsdale, Peoria, Arizona specifically. And they had five kids at the time, a young one, six months old, and then a 22-month-old, and then some other older ones. And Heidi struggled um, after that fifth one, had some postpartum. She, she describes this. She tells about this publicly. I'm not telling on her. And so they went on a trip. And they went together up into the mountains near Flagstaff area. And, uh, and the kids were off. They were enjoying the four older ones at least. They were trying to set up the camper, get it all ready to go. Four kids found this little wooden fort they were playing in. And Heidi turned away to take care of the baby for just a minute. And she turned back and she could count only three heads of the older four and the younger one, 22 months old, was missing. His name was Kingston. There's a picture of him at 22 months old. And he ran off. And they couldn't find Kingston anywhere. You can see the panic of this mom. And they began yelling and then screaming. And Dad, Butch, he didn't have shoes on. He ran out barefoot out into the woods. And she said, you got to go further. And he jumped in the truck. And he was looking for Kingston everywhere he'd go. They called, of course, 911. They got there in 20 minutes. Um, they called the search and rescue from Flagstaff, Arizona, which was going to take them about an hour to get there. Um, they began to look. They got infrared helicopters, helicopters with infrared at least, uh, looking for the child, could not find him. An hour had passed. Two hours passed, still could not find Kingston. Finally, someone went up. And they thought they could hear this faint cry. Now the sunset is hitting that mountainous area, and they're worried even more. You can imagine all the thoughts going through your head. And 
they heard this faint cry and one of the search and rescue workers found Kingston sitting there, dirty diaper, mud all over his face, crying, tears running down his face. And he grabbed him and they yelled to the mom, we found Kingston. And she didn't know if he was going to be okay or not. And they, they brought him anyway to, to the mom and he was perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with him whatsoever. And when Butch received him out looking, not knowing if he's ever going to see his child, and two and a half hours later, they're reunited. And he gave him the biggest dad hug ever and began crying and weeping over this, my son, I thought what I'd never see again, but is here perfectly fine. Now, I have a, an actual video of the, the, the reunion, but I'm not gonna show you, it'd be too sensational. Um, but it, it, the dad felt like we had to do everything, mom and dad both, we have to do everything possible to find that child. The compassion for that child was so deep that they stopped everything. Search and rescue. The sheriffs in this, that county were out looking. The mom and dad were screaming and crying and praying. She contacted as many people as she can. You got to pray for his safety, his return. Everything you can for the return of this child. And he was safe. And he is doing great. And they had two more. <laughs> Compassion moves us to action. It moves us to action. Compassion isn't really compassion if it doesn't move us to action. It could be pity. We have pity, oh, pity them. Or we say in the South, bless their heart. What we mean is like, I'm sorry for them, but I can't do anything about it. But true compassion moves us to action, just like the compassion for this 22-month-old child who was lost in the woods by himself. They did everything they possible to try to retrieve. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, action, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It seems like he's switching um, his ideas now. Are we talking about sheep now or now we're talking about a harvest? But there's a reason for it. And Jesus is saying like, all right, there are so many needs around us. Do you see them? I listed them. The guilt the shame, the sorrow, health, relationships, on and on it goes. We see those all around us. Perhaps we've experienced those as well. You say, what's needed? What's needed is a shepherd who sees those helpless and harassed sheep and will go and suffer with compassion, suffer with them, suffer together with them. While they're going through this trial, they're not alone. That's the purpose for this local church is we're suffering together 
we're here, we're committing to each other. We're saying, you can count on me if anyone's suffering. You're also saying, please lend me a hand if I'm suffering or, or off astray. We are able to do, take action. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's not many people. He's looking for workers. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest. He'll send workers. Am I needed in this, in this local church? Yes. Desperately. Not in a sense that it's desperate, but in a sense that you're sincerely and fully and completely needed to work in whatever way you do. And that's what encourages me the most. As I see, I see you working. I see you striving. I see you sacrificing for the good of others. This is encouraging. This is a church. This is compassion and action. Following not just a principle and idea, but following the one, the compassionate Savior. That's what we get to do. Jesus said, another passage related in John 4.35, Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The thought behind a white harvest is when that wheat or that barley, no doubt in that area, barley was probably the, the crop. When it grows up and it is mature, ready to be taken down, it has this white kind of look. It's not really white, but it's the sun casting upon that, those ripened seeds at the end, and it appears ready. But listen, when I was in college, I was 18 years old, and these farmers came to the college and they said, hey, we're looking for some people to come out in our fields and cut down the alfalfa. I said, well, we'll think about it. No, we got to do it right now. Like the alfalfa is ready to be cut. You can't wait. If the rain hits it, if it, it's going to ruin it. So we got to get it now. Okay. I didn't know anything about agriculture and farming. But what I found out was when it's ripe, you got to cut it. You got to get it ready. It needs to be harvested. This is the idea of Jesus saying, but he's also saying this. Barley took four months from the time you put the seed in the ground until its maturity. Wheat takes a little bit longer. It took four months. Jesus is saying, he's probably looking out at a barley field that's just freshly sown with seed. And he said, look, there are yet four months in comes the harvest. I tell you, lift up your eyes right now. And it's white already into harvest. And people are looking like, what is wrong with him? He knows nothing. He's a carpenter. He knows nothing about agriculture. They're not ready. We just put the seed in the ground. But what he's saying is this. It's a spiritual seed. He's saying the word of God can get into our hearts. We don't need to wait four months before the harvest. It can instantaneously bring fruit. That's the picture Jesus is trying to get across here. He's saying, if you have compassion, there are people around you with needs. Go. 
You don't have to wait. Don't delay. It could be too late. It says, work, work, do what you can. Don't overwork. Don't stress yourself. But do your work. And if everyone does their job in following this compassionate Savior, and we suffer with the needs of others, victory's won. The only plan Jesus has to harvest the souls in this world is his disciples, those who follow him. As they say, there's no plan B, we're it. And so we pray, Lord, send more workers. That's what we pray. And Jesus is the one who saw our need first. He felt compassion and he took upon himself the form of a human being so that he could suffer with us and become that first worker. And he is now sending us into this harvest to be workers like him and to serve him with a compassionate heart. So church planning is what we're into right now. It doesn't start with this slick strategy or vision. It starts with compassion for others. That's what you have. You have compassion for one another. You have compassion for this neighborhood. You have have compassion for this side of town, if you will. You have compassion for all those who would come and be a part of this body. There's no greater vision strategy than compassion like the Savior, Jesus Christ. So we get to form a rescue team. And we get to go share this good news. We're not trying to convince. We're not beating into people. We're not making fun of their belief system. We're saying... Here's our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's suffering with you. Jesus said, I'll be with you until the very end. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whatever you're going through, I'm there with you. Compassion, that's what that means. And just like Sherry who showed me compassion and other than my wife and Sherry, there's not been a lot of compassion that I recall extended to me. But we can change that. I can change that. We get an opportunity to follow this compassionate Savior, suffering with, for the glory of God, and letting people see This is what this is. This is the compassionate God I want to follow. Father, we thank you for your compassion to us. We pray for more compassion in our life that we'll understand it's not a duty. It's a delight to walk in who you are. So we pray, Lord, give us that compassion, your compassion. Not manufactured, not fake, true, glorious compassion. 
And we pray for more workers. You said to pray, Lord, of the harvest, to bring more workers. We're praying for more workers so that more people can stand with other people, can suffer with them, can be together in their trial and trouble and show them we had an answer through Christ. Thank you for being our compassionate Savior. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand.